0: Hello everyone I hope you had an amazing week and I hope that you're ready for uh, another session from Unending Grace. My name is Masood Ramandi and today I want to cover the second part of what I started last week. It was about the judgment seat of Christ and I ended with uh, verse 10 of Romans chapter 14 because that's the place that we once again we see something about the judgment seat of Christ. But then uh, I couldn't finish this because, I mean, we have to get the whole context of Romans 14 to understand in this context what the judgment seat of Christ is pointing at. Uh, So we're going to do that. We're going to start from verse 1 of chapter 14 and we're going to go all the way down to a very last verse of this um, chapter. And this is a bit different than how uh, basically we teach. We uh, love to go to... Different places, but sometimes it's good to actually just see something verse after verse, get the mindset of the author that was writing this, get into the pattern of his thoughts, and instead of picking one verse out of context and talk about that, to see what it was said. Because verses like this, that are the absolute beauty of God's grace and love, are presented sometimes in a way that is condemning and that's not the way it should be Uh, but uh, we know why this is the case I read that for you in the last session that Paul says even if our gospel is veiled that means the reason that they say the things that they say is because the gospel is veiled to them that means the good news is veiled to them that means they live by a bad uh, news version of what they read in the scriptures. And the bad uh, news version is a version that is a veiled understanding of the writings and that is simply the letter of the word. It's not what the spirit of this word says. Even um, we were watching a movie the other night and um, it's funny how they, uh, they use the same exact wording that we have in uh, Second Corinthians chapter 3 and they, they talked about, um, it was a case about the court and abiding by the law and there was basically um, an argue between um, two people uh, basically in the same firm that they were talking about uh, basically either to go exactly as basically the law says, their book says or the other one would say no we can't because otherwise we would Put an innocent man in jail and we would destroy his life. And then they talked about this and eventually this came out of um, basically the one that loved the law that he said, well, we have to, we can't, I I know, but we, we, we can't, we have to abide by the law. And the guy said, well, it's not about the letter of the law, it's about the spirit of the law. Okay, that's the point. It's not about the letter of the word. It's about the spirit of the word. It's not about what is written. It's about why it was written. Okay, so even when uh, in the context of like before the revelation of God's grace through Jesus Christ, when Jesus came on earth and um, people were asking him about the greatest commandment, he said, well, don't you even understand that the whole point of the law was to show you to love your neighbor and not to hurt them? So it's not about you now manipulating the law to actually uh, take advantage of your neighbor. It's not to say, well, look at here. I mean, the law says, and it's my right. No, the point of the law, the spirit of the law was uh, to be a loving member of the body of humanity on earth, to nurture one another, to feed one another, to uh, basically... uh, help each other to build a community of people that they uh, are not in war but they are in peace that they can uh, just be just like a part just like a members of family so likewise when we come to the judgment of judgment seat of Christ it's so easy to be moved by the letter of that word and not hear what the spirit of that word is saying because the one that actually authored this words are this is the spirit of God, yes, the writer is Paul, but the author, the one who said and Paul wrote obviously it's not doesn't work like that it was by revelation he wrote it was not it wasn't word by word, but definitely it was inspired. By the Spirit of God, he authored it. So we have to understand what the Spirit says about this judgment seat of Christ and not to just read it and say, well, okay, there is a still, I know about grace, but there is a still that judgment. There is a still that, well, yeah, but what kind of judgment? Are we again back to uh, judgment according to flesh? If that's the case, then we haven't even understood a l- a single word of Jesus and what he taught about righteous judgment we are still in unrighteous judgment we still measure by a carnal understanding but that is the cause of even writing Romans chapter 14 because in Romans chapter 14 the um, the emphasis once again is people and not Christ it's what people are doing it's the judgment that they make and in that context he says Forget about how you think. Forget about your opinion. Forget about what uh, you want to do. Do not judge according to uh, that that standard that you have anymore. Don't judge them based on what you think is right and wrong. Don't use the letter of the law to judge them, but let's understand how you're supposed to judge. Let's go to... Beginning of chapter, well, let me read actually the verse that talks about judgment seat and then go back to the very beginning of chapter 14. So verse one, verse 10 says, But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, that's judgment seat of Christ. So the context is why do you judge your brother? And then we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Let's go back to the beginning, chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Receive one who is uh, weak in the faith, but not to uh, disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables let him who eats let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for god has received him okay let's switch over to my board and put some words here so it says there is one who eats and the one who Uh, does not eat. And obviously, he says the the one who eats uh, or let me maybe actually do this a bit different. So two groups. One eats and one doesn't. And he says there is something going on between these two. The one who eats, it says, let him not judge the one who doesn't eat. And then he also says, this one also. The one who doesn't eat, not judge the one who uh, eats. And he says why? Because of this reason. Because God has received both. Okay, let me read this once again. Verse 1, receive one who is weak in the faith, not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes, okay, so this is about what they believe. So, this one believes that's why he eats. This one uh, believes in a certain thing, that's why he doesn't. And he says, for one believes he may eat all things. So, group number one believes they can eat anything, and the context is uh, meat and vegetable. And then he says, the second one believes, and he who is weak. Eats only vegetables. Now, I mean, uh, it's not trying to say the one who eats beef uh, is uh, stronger in faith than vegetable. That's, I mean, that's um, that would be ridiculous. It's not about that. It's about uh, what was happening in their story. There is um, obviously um, sacrifices made to idols, and some people, uh, their conscience is not allowing. Um, these people to eat uh, basically what is being sold in marketplace because you can read this story even in 1 Corinthians uh, because they say this is sacrifice to idols we are not idol worshippers we are not going to eat something that is sacrificed to idols so they don't eat and it says they are weak in the faith what does that mean? later he explains um, even in First Corinthians that it says uh, well they don't have they are not convinced that there is no other god to them still Idols uh, still have some presence. And he says, but some who are stronger in faith, they say, who cares? I mean, sacrifice to idols. I'm going to eat this meat, you know, everything that it's the Lord who made it. You can't defile something that God has made. You can't say, uh, call anything that God has made unclean. Later, Paul, in uh, the same chapter, Romans 14, it says, it says, I'm persuaded that nothing is unclean of itself. So, and it says this is the context. So it's about what is being, um, I mean, killed and an animal being killed and sacrificed to idols. And it says that's the context. And some don't want to eat that and they're left with vegetables. And he says, okay, there are two groups. Don't judge if you eat the one who doesn't eat. Don't say, well, this is what we need to do. You are, you know, uh, you, you're not um, strong in faith and you don't... Um, uh, And that's why you don't eat this. And he says to the other one, if you don't eat and if your conscience is saying to you that don't eat, just keep it to yourself. Don't force the other one also. Okay, that's the context. And now he says, let's come out of the circle of you two judging each other because you think you have a law and the other one needs to abide by that. And he says, let me tell you something. God has received both. Whether the one who eats or he doesn't, okay? This is bringing once again uh, all of us to understanding of judgment before man and judgment before God. Okay, now let's continue. Verse um, 3. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you? Oh, <laughs> who are you to judge another's servant? Okay, so he says these two groups, uh, group one, group two, they are both God's servants. What does that mean? Not yours. They're not your servants. They're not the ones that you can dictate what to do. They're, you're not the ones that they are. Um, they must uh, basically give an account. You are not. The context is not that they uh, will give an account to God. The context is you are not the one that is going to be receiving that account. You are not the one that has the authority to judge these people. Okay. So it's taking that carnality once again out of us, out of the believers of Christ. It's showing us if you truly understand who Christ is and if you truly understand Christ is in you, you won't judge people like that. In fact, chapter 14 verse 1 is uh, the verse after chapter 13 verse 14, the last verse of chapter 14. And we know there was never... Uh, Chapters and verses in the Bible. They're just put there by man, and it's good because it helps us to keep record uh, to remember these verses. But let's read without chapter and uh, verses. Look at what it says uh, in, um, for example, verse 10 so 10 to 14. 10 says, Love does not harm a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So, love. The context is once again love. If you remember the previous one, previous session, I talked about judgment seat of Christ in the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We got to verse 16 and 17, uh, 14 to 17, which says, the love of Christ compels me to judge thus, that if one died, all died. Okay, now it says, that kind of love does not harm anyone. Same context now once again in Romans. The context is love and a judgment made out of love and not out of, you know, self-belief, what I believe. No, you must see what God believes. That's the context. And then it says, verse 11, And do this, uh, knowing the time now is high, uh, is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Then uh, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to its lusts okay put on the lord jesus christ put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision for the flesh oh so what is flesh that what is the thing that flesh wants to do what is the desire of the flesh because the word lust Uh, In fact, is the word desire. So it says, make provision, make no provision for the flesh or its desires. What is its desire? That's what chapter 14 says. To judge. To judge your brother. Your flesh has a desire to judge your brother because your flesh has the letter of the law. Your flesh does not receive the uh, law of the spirit. It does not receive love. It does not receive the life-giving um, thoughts of God. Your flesh lives by the letter of the law. Your flesh lives by its own standards. And it says don't let your flesh rule. Don't let its desires be the thing that you do. Don't be moved by the desires of the flesh. And in the context is to judge your brother according to what you believe is to, to be true. Okay? And he says, forget that. Get the love back on. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. See how he would see things, how he would judge things. Now, it says, well, to him, I mean, he has received them both. I mean, when he died, that's the end of the story. He made a loud proclamation for ages and ages that this is the throne from which I'm going to be judging everyone. If one died all died And I judge no one according to flesh I judge them according to the word that was in the beginning And that word was this Man is predestined to be conformed to the image of God For God said let us make man in our own image And the word of God is not like the word of man His thoughts are not like the thoughts of man Because Isaiah 55 5 says, For as the rain and snow come from heaven and they water the earth and make it to bud, um, and it does not return there void, it just accomplishes what it was sent for. So shall be my word. So the word of God never stops, the word of God would never fail. What he said in the beginning shall come to pass. Every creation of God is. Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son doesn't matter what journey they go through, he's their maker and he's their redeemer, and he will make this to happen. Who are you to judge someone? Now, I mean, I'm not speaking to you, obviously, I'm speaking to the flesh, I'm speaking to all of us, and it's not even me speaking, it's Paul, and it's not even Paul speaking, it's the Holy Spirit. It says, Who are you to judge? My servants, who are you to judge uh, people according to what you think is to be right and wrong? Okay, But now let's uh, continue to read. So what was the desire of the flesh here? It's not like, um, I don't know, uh, your flesh tonight desires a steak or desires ice cream. No, the desire of the flesh in the context is to uh, basically judge your brother according to what you think according to right and wrong, according to the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't that the story from the beginning, from Genesis chapter uh, 3? Yes, it is. But it says, put off the old man, Adam. Put on the new, the Lord Jesus Christ, and start living from that place of honor. See what he sees and say what he says and think what he thinks. Okay, so let's uh, move on to uh, verse 4. Verse 3 said, so they're not... Uh, let me show you this so they're not your servants they are God's servants verse 4 who are you to judge another's servant to his own master he stands or falls okay so he says it's not up to you I mean if he falls if he stands it's to his own master to his own lord and you are not their, their lord indeed he will make he will make them to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Isn't that interesting? So he says, if they fall or if they uh, stand, it's to their own master. He says, but let me tell you something God is able to make him stand. In fact, it says, indeed, he will be made to stand. Okay, that's like a firm, um, once again, uh, truth said and established that. He will stand. God will do this. Now, what what will you do in the process? Are you going to put stumbling block? Uh, because, yes, they may fall, but God will make them to stand. But what have you done? What have you done? You just actually caused them to uh, stumble. Although, of course, God will make them to stand. But then the context is, once again, you and I. It's the The context is... The church that God's speaking to and he says to everyone he's not saying I mean he's not this is not something that he says to me and he doesn't say to you or to others he says this to all of us and he tells us what is the truth so we can live by it not to again teach this to somebody else and say hey why do you judge me no it's not like that it's saying to me do not judge another okay so it's not to put Uh, this expectation on others to say why do you judge me well then if you have put on Christ part of this story is that you would know that if you walk in truth anybody who walks after godliness would be persecuted they would be uh, slandered they would be blasphemed and Jesus said well you know this would happen because there's always flesh around you and blessed are you if you in the midst of all of this instead of cursing you bless okay that's part of the story uh let's go on. Verse 5. One person steams, or the word is actually judge, judges one day above another, and another steams every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. It says, okay, now we're talking about days. Okay, there was uh something about meat and vegetables. Okay, what is clean and what is unclean. Now he says, Let me tell you something about days. I mean we have days that are important in the Bible. We have uh, for example, Sabbath. So that was one of the things that was part of the covenant, part of the old covenant law. Uh, there was things about the feasts. Uh, and he says, now, according to flesh, people still, some of them keep these um, and they think they have to do it. Some people think that they have to keep Sabbath. Uh, they have to keep, I don't know, um, uh, the feast of Passover, the key, uh, all of that. I mean, part of this story is the Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and I don't know why we call it Easter because it has nothing to do with it. It's Resurrection Sunday. We don't, I don't honestly know why the church has adopted that name, but that's for another um, session. So we, some still celebrate those things and it's fine, but some don't. And it's fine. I mean, I don't. I don't, honestly, I don't care about Good Friday. I don't care about Resurrection Sunday. Not because I don't care, because that reality of uh, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, it must be our every day. Didn't we just read, if one died, that's the Good Friday? I mean, it's not even Friday, literally, but I mean, just to get um, the concept. So the reality of crucifixion is in every moment. If I just leave it for one day, I mean, what's the benefit of that for me? But I will not judge you if you do this because I know you're convinced by your own mind. And I will not be a stumbling block for you. I will not say don't keep it. And this teaching is not to tell you what you must do. This is my conviction. This is my conviction that I will not keep uh, in flesh the feasts of the Lord. I'm supposed to be on Mount Zion, what? Hebrews chapter 12 says, where the festival gathering of the saints is, where every feast of the Lord is fulfilled. That means every moment you can live in these feasts and you celebrate them. That's my conviction. But I'm not going to judge you and say, uh, hey, after 2,000 years you still don't get it that this is for every day. No, I won't be saying that. Why? Because if I say that, if I put that pressure on you, then I would make you to do something that your your conscience says don't. So I teach you the good, and your conscience adopts that, and at the same time, you will do against that, and then you're left between what the law was and the transgression of the law, and then you're condemned. Look at what it says later. Verse 6, He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. Do you see again, to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord, and not you? That's the context. That brings us to the judgment seat of Christ. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself. And none, no one, dies to himself. Do you see once again? Not to you, not to yourself, not to himself. Verse eight: For if we live, we live to the Lord; and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Wow! I mean, it can't be this clear anymore, right? For the, to this end, Christ died and rose. And live again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So that sounds like he's the Lord of all, and not you, not me. So we are not the ones who would cause people to uh, fall or stand. He is, and we would should not be the ones who put stumbling block by telling them what is right and what is wrong. What we are supposed to do is to see what love does. To become, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be identified with him, to see things as he sees and say things as he says. Verse 10, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand. Let me just read it uh, with emphasis that it should be read. For we shall all stand. Before the judgment seat of Christ and not man. Okay. And then he says, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, the Lord of the living and the dead, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God and not to each other, not to man. You're not judged before men. Verse 13, therefore, and he says, let me tell you, this is the conclusion of everything that I wanted to say. Let us not judge one another anymore. So he says, all things that I said, and you took one thing out of it, the judgment seat of Christ, you must all stand before judgment seat of Christ. He says, let me tell you what all I was trying to say was, this is the conclusion. You got the introduction, you got the explanation, and you you get the conclusion. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause, of, cause to fall in our brother's way. Okay, so this says, all that I said is this. Now, let's read a few more verses, then I will finish this session. I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Paul says, by the Lord Jesus Christ, I am convinced, by the Lord, I am convinced that there is nothing unclean. It's interesting that Paul doesn't make this a rule now, saying, I heard from the Lord, and that's what we do. Paul says, I heard from the Lord, and he says, nothing is unclean. And this is what I tell you from now on you must do. I got a revelation, and this is an you thing that the Lord showed me there is nothing unclean and you must all eat so you guys that don't eat uh, vegetable eat meat start eating meat the Lord showed me no he doesn't do that look at what he says he says but to him who considers anything to be unclean to him it is unclean wow <laughs> I mean what kind of law could you teach these things could the law of letters, the law of commandments teach you these things? That you be so sensitive to your neighbor? That you be so considerate? That you, you be so caring for the person and not for the law? No. It's only love that is able to say this. It says, the Lord Jesus showed me there is nothing unclean. And thank God I am free from all those self-condemnations. I'm going to eat whatever is set before me. But if anyone considers anything to be unclean, I say, don't try to live by my conviction. Your conviction is that it is unclean. Now, verse 15, Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Sounds like the judgment seat of Christ is love, right? Everyone must manifest before this love. Do not destroy with your food, the one for whom Christ died that's amazing therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil oh we have the word good and evil in one verse and where was the first place that we had good and evil in one verse Genesis chapter 2, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sounds like the people that live by Allah and not by conviction, they're living under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sounds like the people that live by Allah and not conviction, now the new covenant term for that, faith. Those who live by a rule and not by conviction, by faith, they are eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now see what it does to them. So he says, first of all, let not your good be spoken of as evil. What was the good of Paul that he was convinced nothing is unclean and he was eating? Now, what is being spoken evil of the same thing that he's doing? Although it was good to him, but it's being spoken of, evil by others now this is what it happens for some people they have now both knowledge they know what is good but they also know what is evil not to do it but they live by that not doing it so they are condemned look at what we read after that for the kingdom of god is not eating and drinking but righteousness peace and joy in the holy spirit for he who serves christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify, build up one another. Do not destroy the work of God, people, for the sake of food. All things are indeed pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense with that basically uh, place of not being convinced he eats without being convinced verse 21 it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak do you have faith have it to yourself before god not before man Don't do things, if you're convinced, you're convinced before the Lord. You Don't bring your conviction before men. So if you have faith toward this, then do it before the Lord. Happy, or the word is blessed, is the one, is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Okay, look at the context. He was convinced of the Lord that everything is clean and he was eating it and he was not condemned that's amazing but he says there are some that they uh, they get the conviction of someone else it's not their own conviction and they do what that person does or even they live between the two convictions between his conviction and their conviction and they are discerning between the two which one is right and says you're eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil so the tree of knowledge of good and evil is eating from both kind of convictions that sounds like doubt either should i eat should i not eat that he says don't live that way and it says those who actually disprove uh, or let me put it this just as it says uh, those who condemn themselves in what they have already approved they're not happy they're not blessed but it is those who are, those who do not condemn themselves in what they approve, they are blessed, they are happy. Sounds like eating from the tree of life. Sounds like faith, living by faith, living by conviction, living by not duality, living by, uh, you know, not a knowledge of what is good and what is evil and let me just choose between the two. No, living by a spirit-given conviction. Live by that. And he says even if... Let's say the Lord has shown to someone that this is, uh, you know, eating. uh, There is nothing unclean. It has shown it to him. You haven't received that. And until you have that conviction, continue to do what you were doing. Don't eat. Okay, that's, I think, clear. Look at verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Not that God condemns, it says he himself. He says he condemned himself, isn't it? Verse 22, he said he condemns himself. But then verse 23, but he who doubts is uh, condemned if he eats. Because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Wow. Let me show you something. This sin has nothing to do with the actions That we call sin. In the context, it says if you are convinced that you should not eat meat in the context of sacrifice to idols, and you eat it, you are sinning. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, to who? I mean, what's the context of sin here? And what does that mean? It says it's a place of you doing against the law that was set but who set the law you yourself and who are you sinning against yourself and who is going to be your judge yourself your own conscience and who is going to kill you and condemn you yourself so you're not going to be happy you're living from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and you're dying every day so what does that mean it says don't live on a gray area Come before the judgment seat of Christ. See what Christ sees and begin to understand, grasp the beauty of this new creation and begin to live by it. Don't try to, um, you know, imitate anyone in what they do. See what they see. If you can see the same thing, if the Lord convinces you of the same thing, that's amazing. And you are free from that. But don't do anything uh, because of Somebody else, you know, uh, doing this or saying this. So so basically, this judgment seat of Christ stops you from condemning yourself. The judgment seat of Christ stops you from uh, eating uh, or from uh, condemning yourself in the things that you approve. I think this is clear. Uh, This session was a bit longer, but I had to uh, basically go through everything in this chapter to show you what actually Paul is trying to say. Once again, what's the context? So now we have two sessions on the judgment seat of Christ, but we will be covering also other aspects of um, judgment based on grace and what it means. And I know that would be also another blessing. So... uh, other than that, uh, I hope you will, have, you will continue to have this discussion in your group and see the fruit of what the Lord is showing to everyone. So we'll see you uh, in the next session.